1: Hello, everyone, and welcome
0: to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. A lot of ground to cover today. We have the latest results from the Purdue CME Group Ag Barometer. The um, July numbers are in, although we have to take it, kind of put it in perspective. Timing is key on this, but uh, we'll talk with Michael Langemeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, and go over those numbers and uh, what they tell us. Also, we're going to talk with Hannah Thompson-Weeman with the uh, Animal Ag Alliance. Uh, She's going to give us an update on what uh, some of these animal rights activist groups are saying and what their plans are, something to really uh, watch closely. We'll talk about that. And then our Farm Progress Show preview today. Matt Youngman, National Show's Director for Farm Progress, will join us. Farm Progress Show coming up August 27th, 28th, and 29th in Decatur, Illinois. This is the time of year for state fairs and uh, farm shows, big one going on in Minnesota, Farm Fest underway. And yesterday they had Secretary Perdue, they had the Chairman of the House Ag Committee, Colin Peterson, and several other members of Congress for an interesting listening session. Here to tell us about it is Joe Gill, Farm Director, KASM, Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota. Joe, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, just an uh, outstanding week, and by golly, the weather even cooperated. So uh, it's been uh, a great show uh, near uh, Redwood Falls.
0: Well, let's talk about the event yesterday, because uh, Secretary Purdue and uh, Chairman Peterson uh, heard from uh, farmers, and some of them expressed uh, their frustrations with what's going on right now with trade and some other issues.
2: You know, they sure did, Mike, and, and kind of backpedaling a little bit as Colin Peterson kind of, I know I spoke to Kevin Pat, Minnesota Farm Bureau President, and he said, yeah, he addressed us and said, you know, he wanted, he had this idea for, for Farm Fest this year, and it really, truly was a listening session. They didn't go up there and, and kind of have their own speech or their own agenda. They sat back. Uh, some of the questions, Mike, they answered, or they gave an opinion, or they said, no, I, I disagree with you, and this is how I feel. Uh, but they really sat back on some and didn't reply to to, to some of the concerns, but A lot of folks you could feel were venting some uh, frustration on many different levels.
0: I know there were concerns raised, and I've certainly raised these uh, a number of times, and uh, it was brought up yesterday in the session, the fear that long-term damage is being done in this trade war with China, that we'll not be able to regain uh, the market share that we once had.
2: You know, we had some of the folks say that, Mike, you're right. And I know Sonny Perdue, he He came out and he he disagreed and he felt that uh, that China market, he says, we're going to get some of that back. He he really felt confident and he kind of refuted those claims that people said, boy, we lose it. We're we're never going to get it back. But he still held some confidence that, you know what, that market is going to be there. And eventually we're going to get some of that market share back. It may be tough, but he had still some optimism uh, despite some other folks uh, not feeling very optimistic at all.
0: Yeah, well, no one's more optimistic than uh, Secretary Purdue, uh, <laughs> uh, and he he tries to share that uh, that optimism wherever he goes, and he does a good job at it and doing it. But I think what we're starting to see, and what you saw yesterday, Joe, is the message may be wearing a little thin because of uh, the realities of what's happening on the farm.
2: You know, it is wearing thin, Mike, because I think people, you know, in a few different instances here in the last year, thought, boy, we're right on the on the cusp of, of seeing something happen, and it didn't. And I think a, a reality was sinking in here in the last two days at FarmFest that, you know, it's going to take a lot longer, and it could be a lot longer yet down the road. And, and you really had a sense that was sinking in with folks, and like you said, a lot of farmers are, are running out of time. And then it seemed like it kind of flipped to where they'd bring a positive mic and talk about USMCA, and say that is a positive, and we really could see that uh, get past here come uh, sometime in the fall.
0: We're talking with Joe Gill, Farm Director at uh, Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota. A uh, big event this week is Farm Fest there in Minnesota, and yesterday a listening session with Secretary Purdue and House Ad Committee Chair Colin Peterson and others. Uh, Colin Peterson uh, brought up an interesting number saying that only 61 percent of minnesota dairy farmers have signed up for the uh, dairy margin coverage program and he said he could not understand why it's not at 100 uh, percent what are your thoughts on what you're hearing from dairy producers there in minnesota
2: yeah he kind of fired back a little bit and he he was a little disappointed i think in that number and you mentioned 61 percent he said only 25 percent of that 61 is signing up for the five-year option And here in Minnesota, we have some legislative assistance, too. If you sign up for that five years, you're going to get some dollars towards that premium. And some of the producers says, hey, that's going to take care of my premium for the five-year period, and plus give me uh, some certainty uh, as well. But the lack of sign-up, like you mentioned, is the issue, and I still think there is a hangover effect uh, from the past programs. And I know it's been a few years, but it's still there. Uh, some of the sentiment with farmers saying, "Boy, I don't know if I want to commit myself for that long, not exactly knowing what lies ahead for the next five years."
0: There was also frustration expressed, I believe, with the uh, crop reports and how USDA comes out and puts together those reports and their impact, of course, uh, on markets.
2: Yeah, we had one gentleman. He. He kind of added a little comedy on, on Wednesday, too, in regards to getting some of these results and, and the timeliness of them all. And he says uh, there might be a lack of understanding on the USDA level on how this affects everybody directly on the farm, where we see these sudden changes in, in prices as well. And Ag Secretary Purdue, he, he backed uh, NAS and what they do. He says, I have not heard this. Uh, I have heard this concern previously, but he fully backed NASA and what they do and what they do at USDA, and he says uh, the record has shown some of these numbers have come out to be pretty darn close in past years, but uh, he didn't back down, and once again he was uh, in full support of, of the reporting they're doing, and he says if anybody alludes to there's, there's anything behind it trying to manufacture these numbers, he says uh, that was totally false.
0: So a spirited event yesterday, some good give and take, it sounds like.
2: It really went back and forth. It even added a little humor in with it as well. Um, But I think people enjoyed I mean, we got through, I would say, 25 to 30 different people at a chance to to ask a question of that panel, which uh, featured uh, some other uh, folks as well representing the state and also a congressman from Florida as well. So it really was an outstanding opportunity.
0: Very good. Joe, thanks for the uh for the report and enjoy Farm Fest.
2: We will, Mike. Thanks again.
0: Take care. Joe Gill, Farm Director at our affiliate KASM, Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota. Uh he mentioned there there was even some attempts at humor yesterday. I think um uh, Secretary Purdue tried some of that. It did not go over real well, one of his uh jokes. Uh, so an interesting give and take there between farmers and um members of congress and usda the frustration is starting to boil over as uh, i said patients starting to wear thin on a lot of these issues coming up next we'll talk about farmers attitudes and uh, their confidence in the way things are going the ag economic barometers out from purdue and the cme group will have the latest results next on aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
3: Stress less in a minute from the American Ag Network. We are talking with Monica McConkey with Prairie St. John's and Eyes on the Horizon Consulting. This week, McConkey tells us another of her top tips. So you might see yourself getting into conflict more with your family or friends, or you might be feeling more frustrated And sometimes you have to implement self-care strategies or mindfulness strategies just to really stop yourself in the moment and take a deep breath, look around you, take it in and let that go. And, And mindfulness sounds ridiculous, especially to farmers, I can imagine, but it truly works just in the moment to really focus on your five senses and that just kind of gets you out of your head for a little bit and helps decrease anxiety, even if it's just in the moment. That's Monica McConkey. This is Stress Less in a Minute from the American Ag Network.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Joined now by the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, who I know is feeling better about our Cardinals these days. Right, Jeff?
2: Oh, you got it, Mike. I think we've won 10 out of the last 12 games, so things are looking up here in St. Louis.
0: I know you're not feeling so good about uh, these small refinery exemptions. Um, we're learning more and more about uh, about them and what, how EPA came to those decisions, and now we've learned that EPA basically ignored some recommendations from the Department of Energy in granting some of those waivers.
2: That's right, Mike, and, and it's it seems like uh, with every layer of this onion we peel back on small refiner exemptions. We just keep finding th- that the core of that onion is is more and more rotten than we, we even thought. The real problem we have with all of this is just the utter lack of transparency.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
4: Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good
1: Each month, we check in
0: with Purdue ag economist Michael Langemeyer to get the latest results of the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. We have the numbers uh, from July. Michael joins us now. Thanks for joining us, Michael. And I guess we have to kind of put a disclaimer on here. Timing is everything on uh, these numbers, uh, these uh, reports. Uh, when When the questions are asked, what's happening at that particular moment, right?
5: That's definitely the case, and, then that, and that's the case with any policy or trade news that may have happened uh, the week before uh, we actually do the survey, but also what the futures prices are uh, it, it, during that particular week. And, and that certainly was the case with this last go-around of the survey.
0: So the July numbers that you have are actually showing an improvement, uh, but uh, again, we look at the timing of it. What was going on when the, when the survey was taken?
5: Yeah, the, the improvement is very large going from May to July, and, uh, and timing is important for both of those. In May, uh, in mid-May, we were right in the midst of, a, of a late planting. Uh, farmers were having a lot of difficulty uh, getting their crops in the ground, and, and that really caused some, some pessimism. Also, at, at, that, at that time, uh, there was not an announcement regarding the MFP payments for 2019, uh, and so the sentiment was pretty low. The index was only 101 in May. Uh, it increased in june to 126 and then the july number uh, increased to 153 uh, the july number uh, a couple things were happening uh, there uh, the, um, the, the, there was more information about the mfp payments we didn't have final details regarding the mfp payments that was re- that those were released after the july survey but there was details that there was going to be some fairly substantial payments uh, regarding mfp for 2019 but also uh, the mid-july survey occurred during the peak uh, of, of corn and soybean futures. Uh, corn and soybean futures, particularly uh, uh, soybeans, uh, have deteriorated quite a bit uh, since mid-July. And so it'll be interesting, interesting to see uh, what happens in mid-August. But certainly in July, uh, there was a lot more optimism uh, compared to where we've been uh, for the last several months.
0: Yeah, finally, in some cases, at least, had a crop planted, and now they're now the next one will reflect the concerns in the crop conditions, and of course, the latest news uh, not so good with China, so all that'll factor into the next set of numbers.
5: Yes, definitely, and I think those will those certainly will weigh on sediment. We'll just have to see how much they weigh. Uh, another thing that was very interesting, I, 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 you know, for the last several months, it, 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 this trend has continued. We'll see if this continues in August is the index of future expectations has been higher than the index of current conditions since last June. Uh, well, Remember, June 2018, that's about the start of these rumblings related to the, uh, the China, uh, trading uh, soybeans and other crops uh, with China. And so, and so what that means uh, is people have tended to be more pessimistic uh, in terms of the current year uh, compared to what they are uh, one to five years out. Uh, and we'll, we'll see if that trend continues in August. I would expect it would. In fact, there could be more difference between future expectations and current conditions in August because I would expect the current condition index to deteriorate somewhat uh, because of the problems we're having with, uh, uh, with the negotiations with China and, and also the deterioration uh, in, in uh, futures prices, particularly soybeans.
0: We're talking to Purdue ag economist Michael Langemeyer. Uh, I know land values is something you ask about. We've had numbers come out uh, showing that uh, land values are holding pretty well. Uh, what did uh, your survey indicate?
5: That's certainly consistent with our question related to what land values are going to do in the next 12 months. Uh, there's about a, the same percentage, I think they're going to increase uh, as those that things think they're going to decrease with most of the people, with the majority of the people in the middle, uh, saying that land values are going to stay the same. So very consistent with the the recent surveys that have came out uh, across the Corn Belt in particular. Uh, But we also asked a question related to land values in five years, and people are more optimistic that land value is going to increase uh, five years out. And so, again, it it points to the fact that people are more optimistic uh, as you look one to five years out.
0: What did the, they indicate about making purchases, especially larger purchases?
5: Yeah, that index also increased rather substantially from May to July, and and uh, we need to keep in mind, though, that still only a third of the people uh, surveyed indicate that this is a good time to buy machinery, but that was 20% in May, which was about as low as it's ever been uh, since we started doing this survey in late July, and so... And, and so and, and so that that's very consistent with the fact that uh, that that they were more optimistic in July when you're more optimistic for uh, how things are going to turn out uh, in a particular year you are are going to be looking at uh, taking a closer look at machinery purchases again we'll have to see how that plays out here uh, as we as we try, try to figure out what the yields are going to be for some of this late planted crop uh, and then also the fact that we've got dry conditions and and, and, um, in, in quite a few places in the Corn Belt. And so, uh, and so there's concerns about that late-planted crop. And so, and so all of that's going to uh, really depend on, on how this, those late-planted crop yields turn out. And also, uh, obviously, we have this open question regarding prevent plant acres. That's also going to be important uh, weight here uh, in terms of the prices. Uh, you know, we, we have quite a bit of prevent plant acres in the, in the mid-August uh, USDA survey. Uh, that may boost some prices. Uh, and then people will then will look a little closer at, at buying machinery.
0: Michael, do you change questions much, month to month?
5: We have about half of the questions that are very similar, and then we usually add some questions that are more pertinent uh, to, to that time period. And we've asked, we've asked questions the last couple months related to prevent plant, and those questions have, have turned out to be very interesting. Uh, when, we, when we ask these questions in, in mid-July, about one-quarter of the corn and soybean producers expected to prevent plant at least some acres. And so 25% of both the corn and soybean producers uh, indicated that they were going to prevent plant at least some acres. And keep in mind, this is a national survey. Uh, This did not surprise us in in Purdue country because Indiana has quite a bit of prevent plant, Uh, and so does Ohio. And so we weren't really surprised at that from from our standpoint. But this was across the entire U.S., uh, with a lot of the survey uh, participants coming from the corn belt, uh, and so that that was a little higher than we expected. And, and moreover, about sixty percent thought, uh, thought the corn uh, producers that were going to pre- uh, that said they were going to prevent plant indicated they were going to prevent plant fifteen percent or more of the intended acres. And so again, uh, this this report coming out on August twelfth regarding prevent plant acres is going to be extremely important uh, in determining where prices are going to land here. Uh, and, and again. I, uh, it's going to be related to, to current and future expectations uh, in terms of the sediment.
0: Looking at your latest numbers, where do they stand as in comparison to uh, since you started this uh, index and uh, over that period of time, are they higher or lower, or where are they at right now?
5: Well, the, the basic index is, is 100, and that's looking at the, uh, the last three months of 2015 and the first three months of 2016, which was not a great time in agriculture. Everybody would, would agree with that. And so, and so that's what the 153 index in July means, is it's certainly more optimistic uh, than during that late 2015-2016 period. Uh, there's been a lot of variability since last summer, but right now we stand about the highest we've been since the survey, uh, survey was started. Uh, and and uh, and and that's what makes this this recent two months so so remarkable. Is May was about the lowest we had seen since before Trump got elected, and so the May number was really low. And now we went all the way uh, to a number that's about the highest we've seen, uh, you know, you know, you know, uh, uh, during the life of this survey. And so it just it just points to the uncertainty uh, that that farmers are facing because because of the because of the trade, uh, the trade situation, uh, but also the, the late planting, yield, and, and also prevent plants. So, uh, you know, there's always uncertainty in agriculture. I was raised on a farm, I know that, but the, the uncertainty this year is, is very unprecedented.
0: It's almost like a weather market. It can swing up or down uh, pretty, uh, pretty wildly in a short period of time.
5: Definitely. It's, it's a weather market uh, uh, and, and also a, a trade market. <laughs> and so you put those two together, and you're going to have some volatility.
0: Really anxious to see. I think next month's uh, numbers will be very telling, don't you?
5: Yes, I, I, you know, I expect them to be down somewhat, uh, but I, I don't think they'll be like May. Uh, I think May, I, I don't think we're going to drop the, to the May numbers, but I think they will we'll come down a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a couple things that are still very positive. I mean, the MFP payments did turn out larger than some of us thought they were going to be on a per acre basis, and so those are certainly going to help. And and uh, you never count, a, even though the crop is planted late, you never you don't necessarily count it out. If if we had a good fall and and uh, we don't have an early frost, I mean, the yield, corn and soybean yields, even for this late planted crop, could still be fairly good. Uh, and so and so all of that's going to be important you know, as we go into the next two, three months and and, and looking at the sediment.
0: All right, Michael, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next month.
5: Thank you. Take care. All
0: right. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langemeyer with the uh, results of the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, looking at those July numbers. Up next, what are animal rights groups uh, talking about? What's their agenda? What's their plan moving forward? We're going to talk about it with Hannah Thompson-Weeman with the Animal Ag Alliance. That's coming up next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
6: You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life, but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today.
7: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, the positive tone continues. The futures extending their rally on this Thursday morning. The next 30 days or so will be critical weather-wise for development of the soybean crop. In the eastern Midwest today, dry conditions or just a a few light showers on this Thursday in the western Corn Belt light showers on the radar in nebraska eastern kansas northern oklahoma northern arkansas early on this thursday mostly clear skies on the radar in the dakotas and montana in soybean futures the new crop november up twelve and three quarters at eight seventy nine and a quarter december corn up three and a quarter at four seventeen and a quarter for the weeds kansas city and minneapolis were a bit defensive in early activity but an hour into the day Minneapolis Spring Wheat September up three quarters of a cent, 521 and three quarters. Kansas City September up a quarter of a cent at 418. Chicago Wheat September up six and three quarters at 495. Livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, we're a nickel to 17 cents higher an hour into the day. August up a nickel at 107.65. Feeder cattle nearby August up 75 at 140.30. Saw some light cash cattle trade develop in the north on Wednesday at 183 per hundred weight. Packer interest is expected to redevelop on this Thursday morning. In lean hog futures, the October contract down 45, 66, 40. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 142, NASDAQ up 76, S&P up 25, September crude oil in New York up $1.08. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
8: Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, the Animal Rights National Conference was held last month in Alexandria, Virginia, and... Some of the things said there kind of gives us a look at uh, what is the agenda? What's the playbook for these animal activist groups moving forward? Here to tell us about it is Hannah thompson Weeman, Vice President of Communications for the Animal Ag Alliance. Hannah, thanks for joining us. Um, this event with these different animal activist groups uh, in attendance and uh, speaking out really does kind of tip their hand, doesn't it? Gives us a look into their playbook, what their agenda is for the future.
3: Well, a big part of what the Animal Ag Alliance does is monitoring animal rights activism, because it is essential for all of us in animal agriculture to understand what these groups are doing, what strategies and tactics they're going to use against us now and into the future. And that's why we release a report from a couple different national animal rights conferences throughout the year one of the major ones being the National Animal Rights Conference that was just held here in the D.C. area a few weeks ago. By having eyes and ears at these events, we're able to be much more informed and hopefully able to be proactive on some of these issues versus having to react to activist tactics.
0: And some of the statements, and I want to make sure we let people know what is being said because that's this is what these groups feel that what they believe and this is what they act upon when you hear and see statements like there is no such thing as humane slaughter and anyone who tells you differently is simply lying or that we need to say that all animal agriculture is cruel and wrong and then someone else talking about animals are people too uh, i mean that really gives you an indication where these people are coming from
3: And statements like that are exactly why we go to conferences like this to put out these reports, because a lot of activist groups will try to represent themselves as concerned with animal welfare, or they're just trying to improve things for animals. But make no mistake, their end goal is ending the consumption of animal proteins. They want to take meat, poultry, dairy and eggs off of our plates entirely and really it's at conferences like this where they are much more upfront and transparent about what their intentions truly are and I think that's what we need to hear and that's what we need to know and really help spread the word about so everyone can put a really a critical eye to their claims because they all need to be viewed through the lens of their ultimate goal which is animal liberation.
0: Yeah, they sometimes they try to mask their agenda around, oh, we just want to prevent cruelty, we want to make sure animals are taken good care of and things like that. But their agenda is really far different and beyond that.
3: And they take advantage of the fact that the both the general consumer and some very influential decision makers like policy leaders, reporters, restaurant and retail brands, don't necessarily have the first-hand knowledge and background in animal agriculture to know whether the claims they're making are true or false. So they absolutely take advantage of that uh, and try to manipulate people's viewpoints on animal agriculture to curry more favor towards their viewpoint. And they outline at these conferences that it is a long-term goal for them. They want to keep moving the goalpost And everything they do, different policies, they try to get restaurant and retail brands to put in place is moving towards that ultimate goal of making animal production unsustainable and something that people can't afford to buy our products. And that discussion of pressuring restaurant and retail brands was also a huge part of the conversation. They talked about how they'll bombard social media pages. They'll send letters to people's personal addresses. They'll stand outside of company headquarters and harass employees as they're leaving and just ultimately put all this pressure on companies so they feel they have to respond in some way.
0: And to, uh, to sound or appear bigger than they are, right? To try to make these, uh, to influence these decisions.
3: And that's the thing with social media it's, a, it's very easy to make a few very loud voices sound like many. Uh, but it's important for us to keep in mind that despite all the news around alternative proteins and veganism, the number of vegans and vegetarians in the U.S has remained stable for decades, and that's by the activists' own admission. So their tactics are not working. That's why we see them up the ante. That's why we see them continue to be more and more aggressive, is because people are still eating meat. They still want to eat our products because they are nutritious and delicious. So that's why they're resorting to more and more outlandish tactics, and that's what we're seeing with a lot of these protests, break-ins, and things like that happening on farms across the country.
0: Yeah, a theme for this animal rights uh, conference was uh, uh, definitely the desire to create a vegan world by 2026, they said, to save the environment. But they acknowledged, as you uh, referred to, they acknowledged uh, that they're not making as much progress as they would like to see.
3: And the idea of needing animal agriculture to be abolished to save the environment, that was pervasive throughout the entire conference. And unfortunately, that's a talking point that we see continuously coming up. Even in mainstream media, we had things like the Green New Deal with a reference in a document about farting cows. Things like the uh, New York City schools adopting Meatless Monday, starting this fall. We're starting to hear more and more people just kind of accept that eating less meat is something we should all do to save the planet, despite the fact that there's not really science and facts to validate that statement. Activists are just repeating it over and over again, louder and louder, so it's starting to become accepted by people. And that's what they really used as kind of a drumbeat throughout the conference, is we're all going to go extinct, both animals and people, if we don't all go vegan by 2026. But even they acknowledge that that's a tough sell, that's really not going to happen. And that's how they talked about that maybe they aren't going to get there, and what can they do to be even more aggressive towards that
0: goal we're talking with hannah thompson weeman vice president of communications for the animal ag alliance as we were looking at and and paying attention to what these animal activist groups are saying and what they are doing we need to be aware of this and and uh, when i look at something you said you were talking about you know how they're trying to influence say, restaurant chains and things like that Uh, I mean, their strategy is, and they talk about it, we surround buildings so that employees have to see and feel guilt any time they leave. An incremental approach is used to gradually switch companies over to veganism. I mean, that's how they're going about it, right? Right.
3: These organizations have realized that if they can pressure large-scale nationwide restaurant and retail brands to adopt certain policies for their supply chain, they think that's going to be more effective and quicker than trying to get legislation passed in all 50 states. Whereas previously, it was a lot of ballot initiative campaigns and legislative pressure, uh, to adopt policies on things like gestation stalls or cages for laying hens. Uh, but now they're really, really amping up this pressure on restaurant and retail brands. So they want them to have to make changes for their supply chains that are going to drive up costs, make production less efficient. And that's really the name of the game. It's not about animal welfare. It's about decreasing efficiency, raising costs so people cannot purchase as much meat. And they hope that that will move people further and further towards veganism. Uh, they also will come back again after policies have been made. As several years ago, a lot of major brands made policies requiring their suppliers to switch to cage-free egg production. But activists have been saying since then, that's really not enough. We've got to go pasture-raised and that's exactly what they'll do is continuously move the goalposts and make production less and less efficient, more and more costly, in hopes that that drives down people's consumption of our products.
0: So awareness, and this is what we're talking about now, awareness of what these groups are saying and doing, that's that's the first step. Then what's the next step? How do we uh, combat uh, these campaigns that are going on out there?
3: our approach to dealing with the threat of animal rights activism is really twofold. Um, One is farm security. So in addition to some of the tactics we talked about targeting restaurant retail brands and the media, the activists also talked about how they're targeting farms and they talked about these Undercover video campaigns that they use to damage the reputation of animal agriculture and trying to get really dramatic video they can try to use against us. So we need to make sure we're protecting ourselves from the threat of activists on our property. Now that starts with being beyond reproach. So making sure we're following all animal care guidelines, making sure we have no vulnerabilities that can be exploited. But it also means making ourselves a harder target, being very careful in hiring implementing security systems, fences, gates, motion sensor lighting, locks, all those types of things to protect ourselves from people that we know are coming onto our properties with bad intentions. The other side of the coin is that we need to be proactively communicating about what we do. Because when the first time influencers like restaurant retail brands or mainstream journalists hear about modern animal agriculture, it's from an activist group, that's going to be what sets the tone for their perception. So we need to be proactive. We need to get there first share about what we do talk about what we do be very transparent so people have more knowledge and more accessible information that they can review and kind of bounce these activist claims up against so it's about farm security but it's also about sharing more about what we do on farms and ranches every day
0: yeah just can't take for granted that all that's just a a minority out there it's not going to make that big of a difference, we've seen that the, they can influence and make a difference, even if they're a, a small number. So you you got to take them seriously, right?
3: And as we said, they're not really succeeding at encouraging people to stop eating meat, but they are changing the way we're able to do business, as we talked about, with the number of policies being put in place about Uh, practices like gestation stalls, cages for laying hens, the number of companies that are adding more and more vegan options to the menu. Um, You know, those options are not an issue. It's never a problem to add more choices for consumers. But we have a lot of concerns about how those products are marketed because Mm -hmm. usually it's not about what makes them great. It's about how terrible they believe animal agriculture is and why you should turn to those products.
0: All right, Hannah. Thank you. Very important information. Thank you very much.
3: You're welcome. Check us out for more.
0: Hannah thompson Weeman, Vice President, Communications for the Animal Ag Alliance. Up next, our Farm Progress Show preview. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture. Coming right up.
10: she was very
6: concerned it was very unsettling for her it's important for you to talk to someone about it to bring the family in on it i felt so much
11: better after my son told me mom i don't want you to worry or be afraid i'll be
4: there for you and we'll figure it out when something feels different it could be alzheimer's now is the time to talk visit alz.org our stories to learn more A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
7: Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now to discuss the latest round of market facilitation program payments is USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey.
10: I was looking at the production in that county, how that historical production uh, over several years, look at um, how that production uh, was being impacted by the trade, uh, both tariff and non-tariff barriers and coming up with a trade damage per county being able to divide it by those acres of those qualifying crops in that county and so you ended up with uh, an actual payment number Uh, and it was obviously different from county to county and I'm sure some folks would look across the county line and either glad they don't have the neighbors or wish they had the neighbors but there was a, a reason both for the county payment mechanism as well as how we ended up with the final payment that we did in each county
0: for the information important to rural America join us on Adams on agriculture
6: over the years you've brought them into your home you were prescribed opioids after the c-section and after dad's back injury they helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case but did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov drugdisposal drug disposal.
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the
1: world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Time for a
0: Farm Progress Show preview brought to you by Resistance Fighter from Syngenta. Knock out tough and resistant weeds in your fields with Syngenta in your corner. We're less than three weeks away from the start of the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois, August 27th, 28th, and 29th. Show director Matt Youngman joins us now. Matt, uh, what are things looking like there at the show side in Decatur?
10: Well, I'm, I'm glad to report that I'm sitting in Decatur, Illinois. I'm actually sitting in a in a John Deere Gator just uh, just across the street from the media tent. You know exactly where that is. I'm, I'm watching the. Exhibitor food tent go up. Everything is – I I talked to Rick, the operations manager that actually makes it all happen, and and he thinks that we're about three or four days ahead of schedule, and I think that probably has to do with the fact that it hasn't rained here in in central Illinois, you know, in in quite some time. So the tent companies, the electricians, the landscapers, the the, the folks that that, uh, have the rental equipment and forklift outfit, they they all are up and running, uh, Official show setup starts monday but but you know how what that means i mean there's there's half the tents are already flying and the docking in the first second, loads of, of equipment are here and and it is it is beginning to look like a farm show site it, it it's really you, you can feel the excitement in the air here on the ground
0: yep starting to come together um... This is the time of year uh, where politicians are just about everywhere. We talked earlier about the big event at Farm Fest in Minnesota yesterday. We know there are events going on at the Iowa State Fair and a lot of the state fairs that are going on. What about at Farm Progress? You're going to have some uh, politicians there that you know of coming in.
10: Well, if you get this many voters in one place at one time, the politicians are, are sure to follow. So yeah, you can you can you can surely expect the politicians. You know, we're going to have. The local congressman Rodney Davis is, is having an event, and he's inviting several congressmen to be here. Uh, you have lots of lots of state directors and secretaries of ag, lots of governors, uh, agriculture director Sonny Purdue or secretary Sonny Purdue will be here on site on Wednesday. Uh, Bill Northey and several others. We're going to have the the F, something that, that's kind of kind of exciting. I don't recall having in the past. The commissioner of the FCC is coming because you know we're, we're talking about how to get. Connectivity to the machines out in the fields, and he actually wants to lay eyes on these machines and see what they're, you know, what they're capable, what they're capable of doing, that they can't currently do because of the infrastructure backbone that's that's not in place out here in the countryside. So, uh, you know, as you would expect, lots of lots and lots of politicians coming.
0: Now, there are also going to be some uh, big names, non-political names, uh, going to be at the show as well, right? Some celebrities coming in.
10: Yeah, always, always celebrities. You know, uh, Ducal has a has a partnership with Clint Boyer, and so he'll be here. I believe Easter Tuesday. Alex Bowman from Hendrick is going to be here on the in the Nationwide lot on Wednesday. Tuesday and Wednesday, Sitgo will have their their uh, uh, off road truck driver will be here on site. Everybody's going to be signing autographs and, and doing all that kind of thing. Uh, just plenty of uh, plenty of stuff to fill to fill the calendar here over the course of those three days.
0: For those coming, can they purchase tickets in advance?
10: Yeah, so, you know, the the best thing to do for pretty much all the questions would be to go to farmprogressshow.com. Tickets at the gate will be $20, but you can buy $15 tickets online right now. Uh, Something else that's new is the Kubota pro Pass, where you get, for $45, you get all three days' worth of admission. You get uh, a hat signed by Max Armstrong. And you get admission to the show site a half hour early. So that's, that's all due for this year. And I should mention that when you when you pay admission, you get a wristband. That wristband is good for $100 off any tire that Titan Goodyear makes. We're really excited about that partnership. That extends for Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. Your wristband is going to be good for $100 off of any tire purchased from them.
0: You mentioned no rain uh, through central Illinois. That's a growing concern for the crops.
10: It, it is, you know, and, and in terms of building a show site, that's great. In terms of getting the crop, you know, get, getting the best out of a bad crop that we can it, it, here in central Illinois, that's a, that is a real problem, and, and uh, you know, the problem is, is it kind of expanding and extending and, and getting worse. We could actually really use some rain for our field demo crop to help it um, crank it along. It, it's, it's on pace, you know, the, the 75 and 85 day corn that we have planted, dries down really well it dries down quickly but but a little rain would certainly help it it naturally progress better
7: so
0: what's the schedule between now and the show i know it picks up daily
10: yeah it, it it's it's kind of one of those things where, where the activity kind of starts to double every day and and you know how that kind of compounds on itself you've seen these this thing come together um you know we're we're right here at the cusp of where a lot of the infrastructure has been put in place a lot of the the wiring, the underground, the invisible things, the landscaping—those are those are really starting. Those are running at, at full speed right now. A lot of a lot of things that are done, and and now they're ready for the next step, which is you start putting exhibits and displays and parking the components. We're not to the point where we're going to start washing equipment or any of that kind of stuff until the week before the show. But but it's it's just kind of a nice natural progression, and, and everything is on pace. Place already looks really full. It, it, it's even hard to get down a few of the streets here and there because of the. Semi loads of wood chips and tent components and, and everything else that that are going going up in the ground and on the ground.
0: It will be a full exhibit field, won't it? That exhibit uh, area will be. Is it bigger than it has been in the past, or how does it compare?
10: Well, yeah, we we did an expansion in 2015 that took us up to 90 acres here inside the fence, and that area will all be full. We have, you know, just the just the occasional lot here and there that doesn't have anybody on it yet. But I mean, I just assigned three new people yesterday. Uh, in the Buried industries tent, I believe there's one open booth in the Buried in the buried industries tent in that 500 foot long tent. So, so the the turnout is is tremendous and and certainly excited about uh, certain, excited about having a full exhibit field and everything that's going to be happening on the full exhibit field with with mm-hmm. new product introductions on every corner.
0: Very good, Matt. Thanks a lot. And we'll talk again next week and see you soon.
10: All right. Thanks a lot, Mike.
0: Take care. Matt Youngman, uh, National Show's Director for Farm Progress. And this Farm Progress Show preview brought to you by Resistance Fighter from Syngenta. Knock out tough and resistant weeds in your fields with Syngenta in your corner. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
7: Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots and, like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads are safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov.
3: Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov slash sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.
11: My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early, like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327.